Welcome, everybody. This is Dan Takini with Blood Nethos's Everyday Hero Podcast, where you can learn about the heroic efforts of B&E grads who are out there ordering chaos and releasing beauty in the world. Hi, I'm here today with Sean Gordon, the CEO and founder of Kiss Books. And for 15 years prior to Kiss Books, Sean was a wedding photographer and shot close to 500 weddings. He's a California native uh, that currently resides in Indianapolis. Family's a huge priority for Sean and his amazing wife. I can't wait for you to meet him. They have three beautiful children, and he has a passion for creative entrepreneurs, leadership development, culture, and authenticity. Sean loves coffee, wine, and bourbon. That's why I love him so much, Uh, because he loves the potential conversations that can happen around those things. So, Sean, great to have you here. I can't wait to just get into the conversation. It's always fun to connect. I met you uh, about six months ago. Yeah. We met in the training, and every time uh, I have an opportunity to get together with you, I get excited because there's, you are one of the most interesting people I know. So welcome, and um, just tell me, what are you up to now? Or why don't you talk a little bit first about what KISS is, and so people can get a sense of what that is, and, um, and then we'll move from there. Sure. Well, first of all, it's an honor to be here with you. I also really enjoy the conversations that come up when we have time to talk. Um, yeah, KISS has been around for 10 years. Uh, we manufacture photo books for professional photographers. We also write software for them. Our ultimate goal is to create a space for the creative entrepreneur to thrive. We happen to do wedding albums, but our goal is to educate and create a tool um, to help people get their work printed. And for that, whatever the client may look like, 90% of what we do is wedding albums. Mm -hmm. So for that bride and groom to be able to look at the work and the experience that you've created with them on their wedding day for decades. Mm -hmm. And what other types of clients have you served besides uh, weddings as well? Yeah, we do portrait uh, photographers, which can be anything from family photos, um, newborns, maternity, boudoir. Um, We do the every once in a while things come through um, people that do photo booths. Mm -hmm. Um, They just take all the photos afterwards and dump them in for their clients to have. Um, that's the majority of our work. It's all um, internet-based, um, so 100% of our orders come in online. There is a handful of local Indianapolis photographers that pick up um, at the lab, but yeah, um, everything else is shipped. I'm always interested in what got get pe- got people interested in what they're doing. What? Yeah. How did how did it open up for you? What happened? Yeah, well, as a photographer and in Southern California, there was no real off season. And so um, this was one of my biggest money makers in my uh, company as a photographer was the album piece and shooting a lot of weddings each year. Um, it got to the point where um, I was shooting for three studios and my wife would ask me uh, weekends coming up. She would say, which studio are you shooting for your own or one of theirs? Because if I was shooting for one of theirs, it meant that I had free time during the week. Um, because I would photograph the wedding, I would give them the images, they would take care of the, the, the client. If it was my own wedding, um, I would shoot the wedding and then come home and have tons of work to do editing, uh, mm-hmm. the whole workflow, albums, all those types of things, design the back and forth. And I had so many clients that I was to the point where kind of in my own business, um, the albums were just taking up so much time. Their, the workflow, um, there was no real system for it. And so that's really how KISS came about. I had this heart for creative entrepreneurs. Um, I was um, coming to an end of kind of shooting all these weddings so that I could focus more on serving this industry. 
And um, that was one of the biggest hangups was kind of getting to the finish line with these clients. Um, a lot of creatives, including myself at times, were just not great salespeople or said like sales is hard. It doesn't mean that that product is not wanted by that client. And so that's really what we're focused on now is creating a system an atmosphere is what I'm calling it for the creative to kind of like allow the system to help them sell, set up expectations with their clients and deliver that, that final piece, which is an album. So our main objective is we're a photographer that creates an experience and that's why you're originally hired, but my work needs to end up printed. And so for a wedding or something like that, the album makes total sense. And so it comes down to the point where you're kind of an album salesman, not, you know, the photography or the camera is just a tool that you use to create these images that end up in this uh, album, which tells the story of that day. Uh, we all love a good storyteller. And that's kind of like how we can learn and teach in great ways. But it's, it's just there's nothing like sitting down and flipping through a, a story, whether it be in written form. And for us, it's in photos. Um, mm -hmm. Just being able to flip through and kind of relive those moments um, with, with loved ones, with each other, um, even for ourselves. I was just, I came in to the um, house last night and my, my wife and my youngest son were looking through old photo albums. And he was just like, tell me about kind of what was going on in my life. He's eight years old. So he's like, tell me about this photo and, oh. you know, kind of like how, how it was like. And was I funny? Was I this? Was I that? You know, and so just reliving that through photo. Um, through printed work is just such a wonderful thing. What's, what's fun is to hear how the obstacle that you faced actually became mm -hmm. the inspiration. For but I was taking over 50 hours of my time to get um, these particular albums done. It was a money maker, but you know, once you get up into the 50 hour range, how much are you making <laughs> per hour? Right. And I had at the time I was shooting over 60 weddings. So I have, you know, 63 other, people to take care of so if you do the math that is like more, more than a work. human should work yeah we, we took it from a 50-hour workflow to less than an hour and um you wow. can that's including like design communicating back and forth we have a system that allows you to do everything in around an hour um depending on kind of like what workflow that you choose so we're you know ho hoping to give people a week of their life back with each one of these weddings that they photograph and show them a way that they can make money as a creative entrepreneur delivering something that the client ultimately wants. We were talking just before we got on about coffee, wine, and bourbon and mm -hmm. the conversations that emerge around it. And I was impacted by what you had to say. And, and I could hear it in your conversation with me about how conversations that emerge out of a good cup of coffee, and I have my coffee here, uh, and out of, uh, or bourbon or, you know, or wine, or even smoking a cigar. I think we smoked a cigar together on uh, yeah, I think that's... yeah. So, but I, I got a sense of your culture at work and at home and, um, and just the quality of uh, conversation that you're committed to having with people, whether it's in business or in passing, but that we don't have a lot of time here and really focusing on that is, you know, that's where the, that's where the quality of life is. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'd love to have you talk about how, how you came about that, um, because I mean, you have a great story and I, I'd love to just hear how that came about for you, how that value uh, of quality conversations and connecting uh, and utilizing the time we have together to be quality and that out of that comes great work. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the, the first time I was more aware of it was um, when 
when Jamie and I started to go through a really rough time. It was back in 2010, and it was um, there was just certain things that I was that had happened to me, certain decisions that I had made in life um, that I was planning on taking all of these things to my grave because I just didn't feel like if people knew these things about me that they would stick around or be able to love me. And um, so as that evolved in um, her and I um, just getting really honest with each other and choosing to grow together uh, and do this life in a very tough way um, together and super honest, um, it just really started to show me the value of honesty and trying to to do this life in the light. And um, that has just evolved so much through different trainings that I've done, through kind of running this business, uh, parenting with my wife and um, our relationship in our marriage. But it has evolved so much more since then in the training of the Revenant process, um, working with a coach that came from there as well, Julia, with Beautiful Outcome, mm -hmm. to where um, every relationship that matters the most you know if you just take the priority order um it's it's amazing how those kind of top priority um are the ones that hurt the most um mm -hmm. they're also the ones that need this type of conversation to happen and so that's evolved with my father um we've had you know a rough go at at a relationship but um it came up in the revenant process and i've leaned into that recently and it's, it is it's a beautiful outcome training your hero and and these kind of this terminology that we use is, is pretty amazing because I could just wake up today's a Monday. I could wake up and go in and answer emails and do the normal life that is so demanding of us mm -hmm. and then check out on Facebook and social media and all those things, which in and of themselves are wonderful things. They create income. They allow us to stay connected to people that are far from us. There's a lot of great things from that, but there still is nothing like that moment where you're having coffee with somebody and you're, trying to be just present with them in that moment and really genuinely caring for them by just, and that's happened a ton with my dad recently. And it's just amazing what's coming from it. Such a tough relationship for most people to have because it's like our expectations and communication, the way that we, that we protect ourselves, the way that our body and our mind protects ourselves from being hurt. Um, it's, it's amazing how so many of these relationships end up evolving into a similar place to where it's like, um, I'm only going to allow that person in that I care so much about so much that they can't hurt me anymore. And then it really debilitates that relationship from evolving into a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because I protected myself so much from what I was expecting or thought my dad was capable of. I'm afraid to use that word in front of Dan, especially. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> from what I thought he was capable of that I didn't allow him to even know what he was causing in my life and to, to give him a chance to respond to, to how I was feeling. And then for me to shift my perspective and try and even imagine what it was like to be him was never going to happen because, um, you know, up until now I was just guarding myself from that particular relationship because I've got, I've received a lot of pain from it ultimately. Mm -hmm. And um, now it's like, it's scary. It's, it's um, saying things that are very tough um, and asking questions, asking things of him. But the, his response has been um, just abundant in wanting to learn how to love me back. And um, it's not that he ever didn't want to love me. It's that he just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And um, I never really 
gave him the shot up until just recently to have that conversation and say like, this is really what I need from you. And I also want you to tell me what you need from me. And um, it was a hard concept for him to wrap his mind around. Um, and so how, re how, recent, how recent has that been? That's been the last six months? Yeah, that's been this year. Um, and we're just in barely in June. So it's been the last few months that we've had this. I was just out in LA, or no, I flew through LA from Phoenix last week. And I, I just extended, I just was able to choose a longer layover so I could have dinner with him and my mom um, because it's more enjoyable to spend time with them. And they love it, but they come up to LA, which is not easy uh, from Orange County. And they, you know, just had dinner with me, took me back to the airport and I flew the red eye home because it's just worth it to me to lean into that. Cause we just don't know how long we have time with these people, you know, uh, life mm -hmm. is fleeting. And I spent most of my time uh, protecting myself from a relationship that I didn't even know we could have. Just like I was talking about with my dad, he didn't want to cause the things that he did. Um, but it's only just recently that he's actually thinking about what is it that I want to be in my life and in my brother's lives as a father today. Because he made a statement one time that really bothered me and we've had a conversation about it now. He said, you know, um, he had apologized. He had told me some things that he never really told me that he cared for me, that he loved me, that he was proud of me and really unpacked it. Um, but at the end of the call, he said, I know um, that I wasn't a very good dad, but I want to be a good papa. And so that's, that, that's a grandpa to my kids. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I heard him and, and we got off the call and everything like that. But within a month, I just said, dad, you know, you are still my dad and, and you have a different role than when I lived in your home, but you're still my dad and both my brothers are still alive. So don't hang up the fact that you weren't a good dad and write it off. Like, mm. so now you will never be a good dad. Um, just so you can be a good papa. I clearly want you to be a good papa to my kids. Um, but I also want you to be a dad to me and that looks different today. So let's mm -hmm. work on that. You know, same thing for my kids. My kids are 17, 14 and eight years old. And it's just, they're all in wonderful spots of life and I want to be present and I want to be an influence in their life. Um, so that they know, um, there's this terminology of sheriff versus shepherd, shepherd or sheriff and shepherd. Mm -hmm. So they, my kid, my kids know the rules and the law and what we believe in the moral compass, mm -hmm. but in a moment where they make a good or bad decision, what am I going to be? Am I going to shame them as a sheriff would telling them, I told you, so this is the law. This is the rules. You broke them. Therefore you and I are not in a good place or can I be a shepherd to where it's like, Hey, you made a bad decision, but I want to kind of bring you back into the fold and allow you to heal here with mm -hmm. me. That is hard. And, 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 you know, I'm the type of dad, especially to my daughter, my daughter's the middle one. I have one girl, two boys, um, where I want to polish my shotgun and regularly scare off anybody that wants to come in and potentially cause some type of harm to her. And we had that conversation recently. I was, basically shaming her for something that had never even happened. It was just yeah. thought of a boy being in her, um, in a relationship with her. And I was like sh reading through some of her texts back and forth. We were just openly talking about, um, kind of where she was at with boys and she left, went off to school and she texted me from school and she just said, dad, like, I really didn't like how that went. Do you not trust me? And, um, it just brought this realization of honey, I don't, I do trust you. I don't trust boys. And I realized what I was doing in that moment was almost pushing her away um, from me and from the, the 
future of, of her knowing that I am a safe person to be around whether she made a good decision or not. And so that is really, I want to be in the moment with her. We had an amazing conversation from that. It was not easy. I apologize. I was like, I do trust you. I do believe you're, I need, you're naive. And I think there's certain things about boys that I just want you to know. Because I do believe you're going to try and make good decisions. But you won't always make the right decision. And in that moment, I want you to come running to my arms knowing that I will embrace you. I will feel the pain with you. I won't shame you. My goal will be to just sit there with you in that moment and, and um, kind of give you a person to just kind of like be in pain with. And that's hard because I just want to keep her safe and in this bubble and all yeah. of those things. But that is not what the world ever allows us to do. And, and even if I do create a space for her that is perfect in this bubble and all those things that I think might be out there, I'm keeping her from real relationships and conversations that she yeah. potentially will have to be able to influence others. So yeah. that's what I want, whether it's with my eight-year-old. Um, I just went to a ball game with him yesterday, and I just wanted to be with him and explain the game of baseball. That's what he I saw playing. that post, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had a game on Saturday, and um, he had an amazing game. He pitched. Um, he played third base. He got a couple hits. He's a small guy. He's eight years old, and the oldest kid on the team is 11, so it's a big difference. Um, but I saw him out on the base, on the bases when he had got a hit and he was confused and his coach was yelling at him. And so afterwards I just went over to the dugout and I was like, Hey, are you okay? And baseball is my sport. That's what I played. I had friends of mine get signed professionally. We always had like amazing teams. And so we'll go to a game here or there. I still love baseball. I just don't have the time like I did when I was younger. Um, but I went over to the dugout and I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, Hey, great hit. Um, you know, uh, you, you look like you were a little confused on the baseline. What's up? You know, he's like, yeah, I didn't really know what to do. And the coach was yelling at me. I wasn't sure what he was talking about. And I was like, okay, like that, that's all good. You're eight years old. You know, you're learning. And um, I went back to my seat and um, I just booked us tickets to the local um, ball, ball stadium here. It's just a minor league team. You know, I have made a conscious decision to want to be present with my kids versus being on my phone or thinking about business or thinking about, kind of the next thing, um, but to just be in the moment when I can. And it's not easy, um, but it was it was a wonderful thing. And he wanted to stay during the whole time. That's it was awesome. funny because he had a late night the night before and, and after his baseball game and everything like that, we were out hanging out late in the summer. And um, we were leaving the ball stadium. We shut that place down. And I said, um, I'll bet you. All uh, right. I said, are you going to fall asleep in the car? And he said, no. And I said, okay, I, I bet you will. And he said, how much do you want to bet? And I said, well, uh, I don't gamble anymore, but I would in the past bet you a hundred bucks that you'll fall asleep. He's like, okay. And he goes, let's shake on it. I said, no, let's not. You know, and I kept pulling my hand back, just joking with him. But about halfway home, it's about a 30 minute drive, about halfway home, I see him laying down in the back. He dozes off and uh, we're almost to home 15 minutes later. And he wakes up and he's like, whoa, like, hey, dad. And, and I was like, hey. And he goes, I think I owe you a hundred bucks. And he goes, I just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, I loved our time together. And um, it, I was able to just be in each moment with him. And it, in the past, it would just be so hard for me. I'd want to control it to make it to where his experience had to be good. And that would just make it yeah. worse when I was trying to control it. And then if he wanted to leave, it would bother me. If, if he wanted to stay, that could bother me. I just had such a hard time. So much was going on in my mind, which still does. But it's how I respond to those tendencies that continue to come in. I asked yeah. him in the sixth inning. I was getting him ice cream and things like that. And I said, 
hey, you know, we, we were finishing up our ice cream. I said, hey, do you want to stay or do you want to leave? And it was weird because usually I would want to guide him one way or the other, but I was good either way. Right. And he said, let's stay. And I was shocked that he said, let's stay because it was hot. And, you know, as baseball can be long and when you're not playing, it's a little more boring than when you're actually in the game. And he's like, let's stay. And we stayed the whole time. One thing that's come up a lot, and when you were saying that, uh, just explaining your relationship with your kids and um, the possibilities is I, a lot of people have private messaged me about the conversations that I'm having with my dad. And what comes up a lot is a lot of parents, my dad included, uh, my mom says this as well, like we did the best with what we had. Um, uh, and it really, that upsets so many people. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them where it was like, really, that's the best. That's the best decision that you had to make. And that's what you chose because it hurt when you did that. But I believe it is true more and more because it's not about the best decision I think would have been the best decision in that moment that wouldn't have caused pain for me. It's not knowing what they were going through and their possibilities being so narrowed because of the place that they're in. And it happens all the time in professional sports or, you know, watching our kids play sports or something like that. It's like, man, why did you choose that? Uh, Why didn't you go this way? It was wide open going around this particular way. And it's like, we can see that from the guideline, from the sidelines and so can a coach. But when you're in the moment, the decisions just feel like they get more and more limited. And it's like, I believe that my parents made the best decisions with what they had. And or the best ones they could see given the only one, exactly. The ones that they they could could see there could have been, there absolutely was better decisions. I I'm sure I'm doing the same thing, but it's like, what we can can see gets very limited a lot of times by the decisions that we're making, whether it's, you know, my dad said that and he was in a moment where he was trying to build a business and really relying on alcohol for everything, um, whether it was good or bad in his life. And, you know, him and my mom, you know, we're going through whatever they were going through. And so it's like a lot of those things just make it to where your mindset or your uh, options available to you become more and more limited even though, you know, it's still wide open if we can take a step back, but he probably did, you know, with what he felt like was available to him. And so that's what I've been leaning into with him is like, why do you feel like that was the only thing limiting or uh, the only decision that you had available to you? You know, what were you going through? And Mm -hmm. um, he wants to be known um, and loved for what he, you know, is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just been amazing seeing his, his whole entire demeanor is changing because I'm just getting to know him Mm -hmm. and it's wild, you know, and I see my other two brothers responding to him in a very, you know, old way to me. One of my brothers works for him and I talk to him and he's like, we'll just say stuff about him. And I'm just like, man, you don't even know him, like get to know him. And I don't think you'll be responding the way that you're responding to him. Um, So it's, it's just that whole limiting um, opportunity that, is is uh we put ourselves in ultimately yeah suspicion creates what it suspects i mean it's mm-hmm. amazing i remember when you were in the training and we talked about this it's, it's so empowering to hear and it's like it's touching to hear what's developed and what how how nervous you were when you first started pressing into the relationship and wow. to hear what comes out of it is uh the reverse of suspicion creating what it suspects it's possibility creates what's or opens up what could be you know if i keep my hand open the, even when somebody doesn't respond favorably there's something i can learn from it i yeah. i really i do feel that i have an advantage if i learn to, to listen to feedback even 
from the most uh, difficult sources or accusatory sources. You know, when in this, like in the scripture where he says, agree with your enemy quickly, I think there's an advantage to that for life, for finding life in any situation. And that doesn't mean I have to submit myself to, to abuse, but I can listen to what's going on and learn what I, you know, what others may not learn because they turn away so quickly from the pain. So yeah, just being willing to listen is a huge deal. And it opens up so much for every person in that conversation, ultimately. Um, but it is like, there's so many things that um, I'm learning from this, you know, it's like, even whether you're like on a motorcycle, if you look at the ground long enough, you're going to end up on the ground. It's amazing <laughs> how those things happen in life. And it's like, if I only expect this out of this relationship, that's probably exactly where it's going to land. And it's like, well, what if it's, what if I just go into it open and, and sure there's something that I want out of it, maybe like I want to get to know my dad a little bit more in order to um, have compassion for him. That was something that I recently went into the conversation saying, I just outright told him, I said, dad, I don't have a lot of compassion for you. And I think if, if you were to pass away, I'm not sure how I'd feel. And I really don't like that because I long to, to feel a compassion for you and to miss you when I'm away. And I just don't have that. And I think in order for that to happen, I would love to get to know you more. And what was it like to be a kid for you? And how was your dad? And then we'll get to the point where it was like how, how it was for you as a dad in, in the, whatever you were going through, you know? And, and so it's, but it's been amazing what it opens up and I don't have a ton of quote unquote expectations for it, but, and I try and go into the conversation just like, I'm not sure how this is going to come out, but I, I know I'll get to know him a little bit more. And that's my hope. And it's whether or not he's willing to open up. And if he's not, I'll be curious why, you know, and yep. uh, it's been amazing. The floodgates just open as soon as that happens, you know, he get, he could have, you know, and this could happen to you. If you ever go to your parent or somebody and say like, Hey, I want to get to know you a little bit more. They can say no, yeah. you know, and I, I, he could have only heard the fact that, and this was a fear of mine going into it where, when I said, I don't have very much compassion for you. He could have stopped right there. And that's all he heard and said, well, you know, why would I ever tell you about anything in my life? You don't care about me anyway. He could have done that. And that could happen in the future. And, um, but he didn't, you know, he was just like, wow, that sucks. You know, that you feel that way about me, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but so you he received to, it. You, yeah, but you want to know me. So he was able to get past that and just share his life. And it was nuts. Yeah. I mean, I wish his dad was still alive because that man had a lot of stuff going on. And um, the way he raised my dad was just unbelievable and I but I knew nothing none of none of that because I never cared to ask it was just the pain that was being caused by my dad to me that's all I could see and so I was continuing to protect myself more and more and more from that to where we didn't talk for years because of it and it's like I could get stuck in the what-ifs of of all that or I could just say today going forward I want a relationship with him of some type and I think there's more there there's better there and um, that's what we've done. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting dynamic that you just described. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Enders. Yeah. Yeah, in the movie, there's a, there's a great line in there where, the, I forgot the gentleman's name, Wiggins, Wiggins the, the kid's mm-hmm. name is Wiggins. And he says, you know, the whole thing is, you want to think like your enemy. You, you, you want to know what your enemy is yeah. going to do, so you got to think like him. And the more you understand your enemy, if you, the, the more you begin to love them because you actually take on their point of view and you can actually, at that moment, you begin to love them 
right? You begin yeah. to love your enemy, which is really interesting because in the in the movie, of course, he ends up destroying all the the formica yeah. except for the one, and he goes and he goes and connects in the end of, of it with the with the one alien that's still alive who's a queen, you know, and and uh, it was just interesting the thought about that. As so many people as I've gotten to know them who including a parent can look like an enemy. I get to know them. I get to know their background. I get to know the way they see the world. And compassion tends to grow in that direction, even if you decide, you know, they're still your enemy. You don't have to expose yourself, but you can get to know them in a way that you don't carry that reaction towards them. And it, yeah. you, you don't give them your power. You know, you're not giving your power away where they, they walk into the room and you shut down, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they win at that moment. My, my Jamie is so good at that, and and um, she's really put some amazing perspective into so many relationships that I have. Because I'll be complaining or or telling her about something that caused pain to me or something like that, and in a in a moment, she'll say something along the lines of like, "Can you imagine being them?" And I'm like, "I usually yeah, get mad at her," and I'm like, <laughs> "Don't rain on no. my parade." Yeah. yeah, I don't want to imagine that. I want to be mad at them. And so just listen. And, but it's amazing the compassion that she'll have for them because it's like all she sees in this moment, sure. She could see me in pain. Um, but she even goes through that to a place where it's like, man, I wonder, wonder why. And if they even know that Sean feels this way about them and what they're going through. And she can just see this like amazing, uh, horizon of, of possibilities. And she wants to start to decipher through kind of like, maybe they're going through this or maybe like what I wonder what they have personally going on. Like, if you thought about yeah, that, like yeah. what's it like to be in their shoes to be saying something like that to you. But that's such and, a great coaching point of view too. Well, she's, yeah, she's it's so unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I and she's think, done it with, and I, I can't, I have a hard time doing that. Um, sometimes when it comes to like with my dad or something like that, and I'm trying to, to learn that and trying to like take a step back, but she does it with her folks and with her sisters and, people that have caused pain in her life, she's able to just like, okay, like see through it a little bit. And what, you know, what, what is it that, that we're talking about? And, and why do you think you're responding the way that you are? She can just do it. And it's been amazing to see. I'm, I'm really, really excited to see kind of like what is going to happen with, with the dynamic of her family and the shift that's, that's, that's already happening, on. just because yeah. she's able to just like speak into it in a way that's like, hey, let's just dig that up a little bit more. Why do you think that is and it's like it's just amazing because to ask that next question versus responding to it um with a quote-unquote answer is is one of her amazing um tools to where i would just respond and answer and try and quote-unquote fix it and she just asks another one like tell me more or why do you think that is not like answer it and fix it that's what i want to do answer it fix it and move on like And it's, it's, it could be wrecking it or the what it could mind. truly, yeah, totally. It, it can evolve How do we fix this? so much more. Yeah. Like <laughs> let's fix this like and move on. And it's yeah. like, no, that person has so much more depth to them. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, Sean, I, I so appreciate your time and, and your willingness to do this. I know, I really believe the graduates are going to enjoy this, this conversation. I surely did. And uh, I just wanted to thank you and, and say, you know, Next time you're in town, please look me up. I'd love to get together. I appreciate you. I love your work. And um, thank you for taking this time with me and with us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was an honor. If you like what you heard today, please check out the Hero Being Process, 
an eight-week online gymnasium designed to support you in transforming your ability to heroically fulfill your unique purposes with freedom, love, and creativity. Available at theherobeing.com. Until next month, keep kicking at the indifference until it bleeds life.